Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One thing I want to emphasize and underline and boldface. Do not invest in things that are not just companies. There are things that are called ETNs, which are notes. They are not holdings of stocks. And those are the kinds of things that you definitely want to stay away from. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today, we're going to be looking at the original currency, gold. And I believe now we're going to be talking about commodities as well. Gold's been around for millennia, and some say that owning gold is central to future financial survival. My guest today is Stephen Lieb. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Phil. Glad to be with you. Stephen Lieb is the author of China's Rise and the New Age of Gold. Now, Stephen, you say that gold's rise is just beginning. You think that all investors need to invest in gold to protect themselves against a falling dollar and a radically changing world economy. Tell us why. Well, there's two fundamental arguments for gold. One is the economy is changing and it's changing dramatically. There are two aspects to this change. One is the growth in emerging markets, the growth in the developing world, which constitutes about 85% of the world's population. That 85% are in countries that where the GDP per capita, the income per capita, the average income of the inhabitants of 85% of the world is about $10,000. And that compares with the average income of the developed world, which is probably in the neighborhood of $50,000. And I should say that when I pick the average income of the developing world, the 85%, the $10,000 figure is actually high. It's actually the highest of the developing world has income of about $10,000. So when you compare developing to developed, you're really talking about a difference of maybe seven or eight times. So that's a lot of growth that you're going to see in the next generation and beyond. It's going to come from the developing world. And that's one of the major changes. The other change, which we read so much about, is we have to go green. We have to basically find renewable sources of energy that do not release a lot of carbon into our atmosphere. So that's a must. And it's coming again in context of growth in the developing world, which is very likely to continue uh, because China is catalyzing that growth and they want it. They want it for themselves and they want it because other developing countries will provide China with a basis for growth. So you have these two things that are happening all at once and they're likely to continue throughout this century, really. Gold has proven itself to be a necessary investment when you have major civilization affecting changes. And we're in the middle of that right now. And just to give you two examples, in the last 20 years, the first generation of this century, gold outperformed virtually every other asset that you can think of. 
I'm talking from an American perspective. If you take the S&P 500 and you reinvest your dividends, which that can happen automatically if you were to buy an S&P ETF, you would have uh, seen your investment multiply by threefold. Very good. But if you had invested that same sum in gold, that investment would have multiplied by over fivefold during the last wow. 20 years. <laughs> it's an amazing statistic, isn't it? Yeah. It's a very, very powerful statistic. And we've had 20 years where developing countries have led the way in terms of growth, where there's been constant pressure to shift to green. And a lot of companies are following that. And this is what gold did. And again, you have to think long term. I mean, over the last 12 months or so, gold has not been a great investment. And it may not be a great investment for, you know, the next six months. But next two years after that, it may triple. You have to be long term oriented. I mean, that's one a critical caveat. Most successful investor of our times, Warren Buffett, he says his favorite holding period is forever. And I think when you look at gold and you look at, you know, possible corrections that do happen going down a little bit over, you know, let's say even a period of a year, year and a half, two years, you just have to be in there for the long term. And again, the long term rewarded you much more in gold than any other investment that you could have made. For um, people who are looking at investing in the stock market for the first time, you know, they're going to be looking at stocks, you know, because there are all these, all the exciting stories and the names and technology and things that are happening there. But what you're saying, I guess, is not that we should be putting everything into gold, but at least have some percentage of our portfolio in gold as a buffer ballast as well. Exactly right, Phil. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was going to emphasize that I'm not recommending a particular percentage in gold. I'm just saying that gold should be a necessary part of your portfolio. And the reason to emphasize this, at least if you talk to an American huge financial institution, let's say BlackRock, which manages trillions of dollars, they'll tell you you should allocate your investments between stocks, usually 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Don't follow that advice. I mean, if you believe what happened in the last 20 years, that just is not good advice. And it's the same advice you'll hear from Vanguard, from Fidelity, from virtually all the major financial institutions. And I have nothing against these financial institutions, but you know, if you just look at history, uh, at least the last 20 years, which I think are unique, I mean, that's the whole point. What you've seen in the past 20 years, I think, is likely to continue on steroids. So, you know, take some of their advice, but also think for yourself what's done really well when emerging economies, developing economies are growing and we're focusing on a transformation to green energies. Well, what happened is that gold did exceptionally well. Is there any sign these trends are going to change? No. Are there signs that these trends are going to accelerate? Many. So gold should be at least part of your portfolio. I'm not saying it should be 100%. I'm not saying it should be 5, 10, 15, 20, but I'm just saying your word was ballast. I think that that's an excellent word. <laughs> it's something that I've been really uh, thinking about a lot lately, especially in, in terms of my portfolio. There's a lot of people who have never experienced a market and what can happen with markets. You know, you and I are old enough to have been through maybe one or two 
quite significant catastrophes in markets and um, diversification across asset classes is something a lot of young people don't even know about and never even taught about. Phil, it's so important to emphasize. I mean, you know, I didn't want to get too much into the weeds, but if you look at the stock market, I mean, it's had three major corrections in this century where it's gone down 60%, uh, 50%, recently about 30 or 40%. I can't remember what the numbers were in 2020, you know, with the advent of the pandemic. But gold, during this entire generation, its biggest correction, and it was just one major correct, well, not even major. I mean, it really has not gone down from high to low any more than 30%. And it's obviously made that up. When the market falls, like the tech stocks fell, in some cases, 90% in 2000, 2001, you have to make tenfold on your money to get back even. If you lose half your money, which has happened several times, or at least twice in the past 20 years, you have to double your money to get back even. So one of the things you want to look at as an investor is what's the largest drop that has occurred over the period of time you think that is relevant for the future. And if that period of time is the last 20 years, which I happen to believe is the most relevant time for the future, you're never going to experience a correction of much more than 25% in gold. So it is a ballast. You know, maybe it'll go down 30%, but there's no cases of it dropping 60 or 70%, which there are with the market. What is the relationship between gold and emerging markets? Why has it become so important? And I, I just want to put a little caveat in here is that I believe um, in Fort Worth in the United States, there's still quite a bit of gold there as well. There is, but it's a relatively small proportion. The one thing about gold and the one reason people look to gold to basically govern their spending as they did you know, in the period after the Second World War is that most of all the gold that this earth has inherited has already been mined. And one remarkable statistic about gold is that whatever has been mined is probably still with us. It's not consumed. Other commodities, things that you touch, like copper, like even silver, zinc, lead, you name it, oil is consumed. Gold is not consumed. So what might exist in Fort Worth is going to be a tiny percentage of what is already mined. Basically, gold is what you see is what you get. And not all, but much of the profits that are going to accrue to gold miners over the next 20 years and more will basically come from rising gold prices and their ability to control costs for getting that gold. So I think that that's also important to recognize. And that's one thing that makes gold very special as a commodity is that it is not consumed. It is not prized because it's useful in industry. I mean, Fossil fuels, oil, is prized because it produces energy. Silver is prized. One reason, not the only reason, but one reason that silver is prized is that it's used in, let's say, photovoltaics and used in a lot of technologies. Gold, to the extent that it's used in industrial for industrial purposes, can be substituted. We don't need to use gold. Gold is prized for its beauty. It has value in and of itself. I can't explain why. You have to ask the philosophers. But it's, this is something that's been true for thousands and thousands of years. 
I just have to qualify. I know I'm going on too much, but I am not a gold bug, a so-called person <laughs> that came to this industry believing that gold was anything but a relic. But I've come to believe that in a way, yes, it's a relic, but it's a necessary relic. And we're going to need it so that we stop spending as much as we possibly, you know, can or want to. And it's necessary to put controls on the world, not just America, but on everybody. We're now a one world, basically a one world economy. And we have to have breaks on what we can do. Every country has to have a break. And the only way that we've ever been able to do that historically is to have our monies basically tied in with gold, something that's fixed and something whose price can be controlled over time. And it will rise, and it will rise, I think, very dramatically over time. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, for new investors, what do you see as the best way of investing in gold? Because I believe there's three main ways of investing it's like buying gold mining stocks. Uh, buying bullion or buying ETFs. Are there any more ways of doing it? And what do you think is the best way? I would say keep it simple and invest in ETFs. I don't see anything wrong. There are people that are, you know, much more bearish, much more doomsday oriented that'll say just avoid financial assets. I don't believe that. Buy the bullion because you can use it as a doorstop as well, unlike Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah, unlike Bitcoin. Buying bullion is a very good idea too, but it's hard to store. And there are, you know, big problems. If you're a young person, I mean, I would just recommend buying ETFs. Let's just assume that we're not going to go through that kind of crisis where gold is the only currency available and we're all living off our canned goods in our um, shelters. (laughs) But the the economy will keep going on. Yes, that's my assumption. Because there are doomsday scenarios. People buy bullion because they think that, like you say, they're incredibly bearish and that we're going to go through some catastrophe in which we're going to need gold. I'm an optimist. (laughs) I'm glad. So am I. So am I. If we're not going to get through the next 20 years or 40 years, I mean, what's the point? I think we will. I'm very, very optimistic that this, we will make this transition. We will be a society in which there are far less inequalities among countries and within countries. And we will be a, you know, a green world. And it will be a wonderful world for the young people now and the young people's children and their children, etc. I think mankind can do it. We really are faced with unique challenges. And I'm very hopeful we can, you know, get through those challenges. And gold should be a part of your portfolio, but not just gold, focusing on stocks that can help us make this transition. And there are a lot of commodity stocks that are, you know, involved in that. And even companies that people wouldn't, you know, go to, like a Royal Dutch, which has done so much work in shifting their product line from just oil to natural gas, liquefied natural gas, which has a much lower carbon footprint than just oil or coal. And 
these are companies that are really going to be essential to guide us through this transition. We're not going to be able to just turn a switch and, you know, all of a sudden we're green and we don't need commodities and that's not going to happen. It's going to happen gradually and we're going to need what we, you know, what we're trying to get rid of. Basically, hopefully we'll use up all the oil, the coal, the liquefied natural gas in the process of providing a society that doesn't need these things. This is happening, isn't it? I mean, the the electrification of the vehicle fleet across the world, it's happening. Right now, it's happening. But Stephen, before we talk further about this, can we have a definition of what a commodity is? Remember, we're talking to beginners here, and we're using words like commodities. And I don't think a lot of people actually understand what we're talking about as a concept in and of itself. A commodity is really just something you can touch. It's something that's raw, that comes out of the ground, and that's used to make other things. And it is involved in countries, especially developing countries that, you know, have to build structures. A commodity can be anything from copper, which you touch, to coal, which you touch and burn. Commodity, I don't know, you know, the best broad definition of it, but it's something that you could actually feel, touch, and need to use in order to build your world. Commodities become less essential as countries grow and mature and services become more important. But even in countries like the most developed countries in the world, like uh, Germany, the USA, Australia, even in those countries that are very service-oriented, you still need commodities. Computers require a lot of electricity, and electricity basically requires commodities. Any person who's sitting in front of a computer is using silver, is using natural gas, is using any number of these hard commodities that you get from the ground. Well, there are also commodities that grow above the ground, and that's foodstuffs. And that's also going to be an issue. And it's another, you know, another investment that you should be looking at are not only the companies that plant and produce food, but also the companies that make it possible to do this in the most efficient way. I mean, one example, if I can mention a company, would be Deer. It's probably one of the most technologically advanced companies in the world. I mean, when we think technology, we think Facebook, Amazon, uh, but Deer. Deer has a lot more to do with what we need to do over the next 20 or 40 years than possibly any of these other companies that we think of in terms of IT, information technologies. Deer is, yes, it's an autonomous company, and it makes it possible to plant your crop, doing it in a way that it's most consistent with everything from weather conditions to future weather conditions because they have forecasting tools, and it's done automatically with as little labor as possible. It's amazing, though, John Deere. I have done in the past with a guest a a deep dive into John Deere, and um, when you hear about the technologies that they're implementing, and it gets to the stage where they know where every seed in a field is, that particular plant from that seed, how much weed killer it needs, how much fertilizer it needs. It's astonishing. It is. And it's so important because so many of these commodities are going to end up in short supply. And one of the big challenges is the ability to manage 
the scarcities. And one of the key things in managing these scarcities is that kind of technology. To a large extent, but not to the extent deer does, caterpillar. If you're mining, caterpillar is to mining really what deer is to farming. And it's this autonomy. It's, again, they have the fertilizer measured out to probably micrograms that you need. I mean, it's a truly remarkable company, and they've done truly remarkable things. There are a number of those kinds of companies around, you know, that I think should be a part of everyone's portfolio, to be very honest with you. So making these companies part of a portfolio, you can do this via ETFs and um, you can get commodity ETFs, you can get robotic thematic ETFs. You can buy green ETFs or you can buy the single stocks. I mean, yes, there's a very broad variety of ETFs. And I think a lot of these ETFs have been created in response to the need to diversify among these companies with just an ETF. Buying one stock gives you a share, small share, in a lot of different companies. And there are ETFs out there that have Deer, Caterpillar, and other companies that are very autonomous, incredibly advanced, make it very efficient to, well, in the case of Caterpillar, dig mines. In the case of Deer, plant crops. And you can do this by either buying the stocks or you can do this by buying any number of ETFs. And the research for this is if you type in green ETFs and it will give you a whole list of sites you can go to to explore what are the best green ETFs. You can actually look at the stocks that are in those particular ETFs. And you can buy them. You can buy them online. You have to have a brokerage account, et cetera. So, Stephen, um, I think we should at this point warn investors, though, that not all ETFs are the same. You've got to really look under the hood and make sure that they're not synthetic or, you know, there are some robotics ETFs that aren't really involved in robotics. They're kind of assumed, you know, there's lots of caveats here, aren't there? Right. And I think that, you know, young people are good at the internet and I think that they absolutely should do the research as much as possible. But I want to come back to a point that you made. Not all ETFs are even ETFs. There's a whole slew of things to stay away from. You definitely have to look under the hood. Any ETF is required to tell you about the companies that they own. And you can actually do the research on those companies. I mean, you can find presentations that they've made to investors by going to the company's website. And they not only will describe exactly what they do, they will describe how they present it to investors. And this is available for any of the companies that you can imagine that you would want to own in this world of ours. But one thing I want to emphasize and underline and boldface, do not invest in things that are not just companies. There are things that are called ETNs, which are notes. They are not holdings of stocks. And those are the kinds of things that you definitely want to stay away from. You want to stay away from ETFs that are so-called twofold and threefold. If a particular group of stocks goes up, they go up twice as much. It seems very enticing. Avoid it. The records of these particular uh, investments is horrible. And it's horrible over a long period of time. The three times ETNs in a period in which gold went up like, I don't know, 40 or 50 percent. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I have it there. If you had a three time ETN throughout that entire period, you ended up losing money. 
And it's just the mathematics. They're terrible ideas. And it's so easy to get ripped off. You want an ETF, which counts only stocks, which includes only stocks. It doesn't have financial instruments like notes. When you see the word note associated with what you're buying, forget it. Do not buy it. You're going to end up very unhappy. You want to know exactly what you own. And my, my a rule of thumb, especially for new investors that are just, you know, picking this up, if you don't understand it, if you do not understand what an ETF is, what it says it is, forget it. Make sure you understand what the ETF represents. It should represent only a collection of stocks or a particular commodity, as in the case of gold ETFs. All it represents is they have gold backing up exactly what you're buying. And other ETFs like green ETFs will have stocks like deer, caterpillar, maybe even liquefied natural gas stocks and solar stocks wind stocks, etc. And that's all they will have, particular stocks. And you can research each of those stocks, again, by going to the internet. If there's anything that you cannot research that the ETF says it has or does, forget it. Understand exactly what you're buying. That is really important. And it's not that difficult. It really isn't. And the internet is a wonderful place to do that research. That's just interesting, too, in terms of ETFs that so many people don't understand that they're actually marketing tools. You know, this is something that I've been realizing as well as that a lot of ETF providers, they just sort of look around social media and see what topics are trending on social media and create an ETF around it because they know there's a buzz. Right, exactly. And again, you know, the point is any young person, you know, is much more computer savvy than I am. And I know that without any meaningful work, I can take an ETF. I mean, Catherine Woods, Kathy Woods is getting a lot of publicity these days because she's been investing in, you know, a lot of different stocks, et cetera, that have done very well. But you can know exactly what stock she has. I mean, if you get a buzz on Facebook about Kathy Woods, the exact wrong thing to do is to go online and buy ARKK. I think that's the symbol for it. A terrible idea. Unless you are very comfortable with exactly what she owns. And if you go to the internet, you can find out exactly what consists of Kathy Wood's ETFs and exactly what you're buying shares in. And I think everybody should do that. Everybody should, you know, just take this chance to educate themselves. That's what the internet is best at. It's not best for a lot of things. It's just not great, but it is great for learning and being involved. And again, it really does matter. Everybody matters. If they buy the right things, they're basically investing and providing that company. We talked about deer. If you buy deer, you know, it makes deer more valuable. It makes them more able to raise money when they need it, etc. So it really matters, not just for your own well-being, but for the well-being of the world. You know, obviously, for the well-being of the world, it's not going to matter a whole lot. It's just going to matter microscopically. But if everybody does it, it's going to matter a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, that's the point. This is not a recommendation to buy deer at all, but we do like what it's doing. It's a recommendation to study it and to look it up and try and understand and understand that if you're going to be with a company for 10 or 20 years, is this a good company to be with? And, you know, if you're convinced, I mean, yeah. 
But no, any recommendation I think that people take should be from their own work that they do or their own comfort level with a particular stock. And that's why I don't advise a particular percentage in gold or anything else. But again, your word ballast, I think is an excellent word. You do need it as a ballast. Okay, Stephen, please tell us about your newsletter and The Complete Investor. I think I have already. I mean, this is sort of what we we really focus on these, uh, you know, these dual trends. I mean, again, the developing uh, world, what we're going to need in order to affect this transition. I don't recommend canned goods and I really don't recommend bullion because, again, it's optimistic. I think we're going to get through this. I think that the young generation that, you know, is around today, for the most part, is equipped to do this. I want a portfolio that basically is tailored to exactly what I feel the future needs in order to become a very bright future. And, you know, I'm sort of summarizing my newsletter, maybe two glowing terms, but we have a very good record. I think one of the reasons is that we do focus on these long-term trends and that's basically what the newsletter is about. And it has different, you know, sections, some for income, some for people that do want to take controlled speculations, not wild speculations, etc. But it's big, small, and income stocks. That's its focus, plus trying to explain to people exactly what's happening in the world at a particular point in time. But if you could just tell us um, how people can access the newsletter and uh, the Complete Investor Service website well, or... You can actually go to the very immodest site that I've titled stephenlieb.com, and that will get you to, you know... Virtually everything that I've done <laughs> in a long period in this industry. Fantastic. Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great chatting with you. Bill, thank you very, very much for having me. And I'm sorry if I went on a little bit too much. You can't teach an old dog new tricks, but I did my best. I really am optimistic. And I really think young people, if they make up their mind to do a little research, use the internet effectively, they can not only help the world by investing in the right stocks, but they can protect themselves and, you know, have a very good future ahead of them. And I'm very optimistic that'll happen. I think the optimism is um, understood and we can feel it. And I think it's, we've all got a very bright future. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you very much, Phil. Really appreciate it. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thanks to Christopher Sulos for music production out of Garlic Breath Studio. Music flows when the money don't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.